Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates from General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery, and I want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us as we learn together now what it means to be Free Methodists in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. It's May 4th, 2020. This is episode 148, and uh, we do have a long interview that I want to share with you today. Um, So before we get to that, um, just a couple things I wanted to mention. Um, so many of you have seen the live stream event featuring the three bishops surrounding the issues of, of COVID-19 and kind of what the churches and opportunities and all sorts of different things. Uh, they have announced that they're going to be doing a second live stream event that will be held on Thursday, May 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And the title of that is Together as One, Addressing Next Steps and moving forward in unity. So they're going to be actually talking about all sorts of things, but um, a plan that they're formulating uh, that will prepare us in advance for understanding how we will receive leadership and guidance uh, when the time is appropriate. So a lot of people are wondering when is the right time, especially since you know um, so many states are on different levels of kind of entering back in or not. Uh, so because of all of that, uh, they're going to be talking about that at that at that event. So um, just definitely put that on your schedules. Be uh, open to to attending that. And then um, the other thing, of course, we want to do is go over and look at May 4th on our Free Methodist World Missions Prayer Guide. And we have something uh, somewhat different today. Usually, all the other times we've had a country listed, and today it says uh, that we are to pray for 360 Mission District. It says, this mission, mission district is one of the few districts not tied to geographic limitations. It includes churches throughout Central America, in the U.S., and even Germany. Pray for multiplication of committed disciples and preparation of healthy leaders. So let's go ahead and uh, pray for the 360 Mission District now. Dear God, um, we just pray for uh, the 360 Mission District and everything that goes on, uh, that there's so many different areas that this includes uh, in Germany, the United States, and Central America. Uh, We thank you for the churches that are represented there, that are a part of this. And um, we pray that in each of these churches, as we do for all of our churches, that uh, people would... It wouldn't just wouldn't just grow on Sunday morning attendance or something like that, but that it would be the multiplication of committed disciples, as it says right here. Um, that the leaders would be prepared, that they would be ready to to lead the people in in a way of holiness, uh, following after you, and um, that the people would continue to be be better disciples, but but do that so that then they can go out and disciple other people as well. So it would be disciples that would make disciples. And we just pray that that would be the case. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, we're going to go into now an interview with Howard Snyder, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, you have probably heard of him from several different 
things. He'd written a lot of different books, um, but maybe you've already seen the video that we did with him, the video version of this interview that was posted on the denominational page. Um, but I wanted to provide uh, here on the podcast an audio version. Maybe you don't have time to sit down you know, on your computer or whatever and watch a, a whole video, but as you're driving somewhere, you might have time to listen to audio. And I think it's important uh, what he's saying. So uh, this is an audio version of that exact same video that was uh, posted and released. I think it was this past Friday um, on the FMC USA page. So that being said, I'm going to transfer over now to the interview with Howard Snyder. I am excited to have the opportunity here uh, with alongside the denomination today to come to you and uh, have with me, you know, normally I'm doing this just audio and I can kind of build up the suspense. Who's it going to be? But not today. You can see on the video right now who's with me. <laughs> Howard, uh, thanks so much for coming on and uh, being here with us today. You're welcome. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege. <laughs> yeah, I, I know uh, many people uh, have said that to be a true free Methodist, you need to get through this book right here. Obviously, right. <laughs> that's, the, that's the test. You're not a true free Methodist unless you finish this book. Yeah, it's only, uh, but, it's only 800 pages or almost 900. So. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you at least own it, that's the first step. So you can be truly, you know, in the Methodist Church if you own it. So, um, so we, we don't want to talk about that book today, although we should at some point. Um, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, some issues and, and ideas surrounding your book, The Problem of Wineskins. Um, now, that was a, originally published in 1975, I believe. Correct. So we've had, you know, 45 years since then, and a lot of books come out, obviously fall into kind of obscurity or say, well, you know, that's how it was back then and, and not anymore. But that's not really the case with this book. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. Um, but first, let's just, some people may have never heard of this book before, um, and this is something new to them. Tell us a little bit about the general synopsis of the problem itself. What is the problem of wineskins? Okay, well, in the 1970s, was just after uh, the Jesus movement, a whole lot of other things that were going on, uh, a lot of young people, uh, Christian young people, uh, were, uh, were searching, a lot of young people generally, but Christian young people and, and other leaders saying, what's next for the church? And there was a kind of a charismatic element to it, so a lot of people feel, felt like uh, they had tasted the new wine. And, uh, and I said, uh, and others had said the same thing, yes, but what about the, the skins, the structures that go on? Because the nature of, of movements is they, they rise and they fade. And what the question is, what are the, the uh, structures that, uh, that either do or don't, uh, like a good wine skin, not only preserve, but keep it, you know, for, for ongoing use. So the, the wine skins, is the, the wine skins, since wineskins question is the structure question. And to give you two very common examples, particularly prominent at that time, uh, the, the wineskins mistaken for the wine. For example, the church building mistaken for the church or church organization mistaken for their church or the matter of ministry, uh, a clergy being mistaken for ministers when it's the whole church that is to be ministers. And those, those are concepts and structures that are faulty wineskins is what I was arguing and, and would still argue. Okay. Okay. So of course the, the word wineskins originally the whole concept comes from Jesus himself. And right. we're looking at the idea of new wine being put into old wineskins and 
Um, so I know in the book, you specifically mentioned that early on, I think it was maybe even an introduction or, or the very first chapter, that God is always a God of newness. So he's always right. trying to do new things in our world. Um, but how does that statement stand uh, next to, for example, James 1.17, which says, you know, God has no variation or shadow due to change. There's other verses that say God doesn't change, you know. I mean, Sam, and for Samuel, it says something similar. How do we kind of put those two statements side by side? Yeah, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, uh, those quotes in wineskins, or that statement in wineskins, are based directly on biblical quotations, where God says over and over again, different times down through the, uh, usually through the prophets, but and even, even in the book of Revelation, you know, God is ready to do a new thing. So there is a, it's, it's not exactly a paradox, it's a paradox, it's kind of a balance and a rhythm. God is the same yesterday and today and forever, but that expresses his character, and this God who is the same is always doing new things. That may sound strange, but it's true in our own lives, you know. We, we always balance those two things. We've got to be the same in certain ways, if we're constantly new or... <laughs> mentally ill. Uh, and yet, we, we, uh, if, if we're stuck in not changing, we're not growing. And it's the nature of life, and God is alive. And the nature of life is, on the one hand, stability, on the other hand, new things. And, uh, you know, if you plant a seed you, in the garden, you know what I mean. That, that's just the way life is. And there are a lot of parallels between uh, physical life and spiritual life, because they both come from the hand of God. More, more, basically, more basically from the character of God, the very person of God as Trinity. Yeah, and, and like you say, um, we can even think of examples in the scriptures. I mean, I'm just thinking right now as you were talking about, um, you know, we had sacrifices, actual animal sacrifices. And now uh, we wouldn't say that uh, we have to still do those because God is always the same. There's no variation. Uh, we realize that there are some things that have changed. And so yeah. there is that newness. Um, and, and some things that are the same. Yeah, so the big thing, the big thing that has changed, of course, is Jesus, you know, who comes in fulfillment of all those. Why don't we have uh, animal sacrifices anymore? Because Jesus, once for all, as Hebrew says, and, and similar in so many other ways, uh, the temple and so on. I, you know, Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the tent. Jesus is the new reality of the law and so on. So that's, that's the big change. Yeah, so our eyes need to be opened to these changes, these things that happen not only in the time of Jesus. I mean, those are big examples, but there are changes that happen around us all the time. Yeah. Right. And we have to kind of, as a church, adapt to these things. Of course, the bottom line message is the same, the gospel yeah, uh, yes. and, and the story that's of Jesus. The new wine. Yeah, so that new wine isn't going to change, but these the, the way that we are talking to people, the way that we're ministering, evangelizing, discipling people, all these things may, may have variations throughout the years and, and may change. Uh, so the same and, and different. Right. Um, so in those, and you gave a few examples back when the book was first published uh, 45 years ago, um, but I know three years ago, a second edition was released. And so the world is similar in many ways to three years ago. Um, but of course, now even we think of our current day right now, um, which is within the last few months. Uh, that is totally different. The last few months is a totally different world than three years ago, even. Um, and we've seen the church facing new challenges with this generation that it hasn't seen before in many different ways. Um, and 
uh, of course, a lot of people face the, 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 the challenge of getting online and doing their services online, but there's a lot deeper stuff than that going on. Uh, that was the first thing, you know, reaching people online. Um, but there are a lot of changes in our world already and that are coming and that we have to deal with. Um, so how does this whole idea with wineskins apply specifically to this time that we're finding ourselves in right now and right here? Well, first of all, this is where uh, a bit of a sense uh, of the history of the church uh, helps because the church, the early church, faced an epidemic in somewhere around 175 AD, another one somewhere around 250 AD. There was a, a great growth in uh, uh, leprosy in the 11th and 12th, uh, 1100s. There was the Black Death after that and so on. The church uh, not only survived, but uh, well, Randy Stark points out in The Rise of Christianity, it actually grew and became more effective because of its loving response to those first two epidemics that I mentioned. So, uh, so uh, that, that new wine of the gospel uh, has to deal with the crises as they come up and, uh, and then decide how it's going to respond. And, and uh, uh, I hear a lot of people say uh, today, I've heard a number of church leaders say, well, the church will never be the same after this. Well, maybe, but if I, you look at, the, at history, when there's been a crisis, there's been different kinds of responses. And it seems to me there's three that are particularly likely today. One will be to say, oh, this is terrible. Let's get back to normal. Things were okay before this. So it, instead of talking about change, it's talking about undoing the change and getting back to where we were. You know, right. what, what, that's where the security is. You know, I'm, I'm for the old wine and, and the old wineskins. You know, just get back to that. And then I think another response is to say, oh, wow, we've discovered the new secret. It's, it's high tech, you know, it's Zoom, yeah. it's online. Uh, it's all kinds of new technology, new algorithms. And, uh, you know, we can be very sophisticated in our evangelism target down to the finest point who is going to respond. No, that's not what Jesus could have done. That Jesus didn't, you know. Mm -hmm. I wrote a blog one time, Jesus gets organized. It was a satire about how... Jesus assigned the 12 to come up with new strategies and so on. Um, no, it's, it's relational and it's the community gathered around Jesus. So uh, I think the, the, uh, the, the most hopeful response is neither the one to go back <clears throat> nor the one to say, you know, it, it's high tech. That can be a useful tool, you know, like writing, publishing, television has been. But it's not the answer. The answer is what Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, then there I am in, in the midst of them. And it is bringing out of the storehouse things, both old and new. In other words, being grounded in what God has been doing in the past, and then seeing how God brings new things uh, <clears throat> as new situations arise. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, very light. That's, that's very true. And of course, as with anything, the response is the question, how will people respond? How will, in this case, right. Churches respond. What yeah. and different people, different churches, and different people will respond in different ways. Like like the parables that Jesus told. You know that that's just the way it is. Well, this is just a, a new example of what we've seen happen many times in churches, where there's been an opportunity for change, for for some adaption to to some new thing God is doing. Um, and people, uh, a lot of times, have clung, clung to the old way. Well, we always did it this way. We want to do it that way. And a lot of churches have, have closed down or, you know, have died out because of, of some of that. Um, 
And then there's, again, people who rush, a, rush ahead into, let's try this new thing. Let's get rid of, we don't like the old way church was, you know, and, and say things like, oh, I, I um, love Jesus, but hate the church. You know, people say those types of statements and, you know, trying to get ahead of the old ways. Uh, and, and those things fall apart and it just shows such a division. And so, uh, like you're saying, it's, we have our own choices, but the real question is, uh, what's really going to help us and, and what is God want us to do and, and it seems clear yeah. well well tell us um i know uh you identify three essentials uh those being the priesthood of believers the gift of the spirit and christ being the head of the body um so tell talk to us a little bit about how do we take what's going on right now uh, to recenter ourselves around those three essentials in our own local context Again, that's the priesthood of believers, the gift of the Spirit, and Christ being the head of the body. Yeah, uh, we had a previous conversation in which we talked about some of those things, and, and I, didn't, uh, I need to put that in a little broader context. Um, sure. I see the three essentials of, of a congregation or of a community as worship, community, and witness. And I have a diagram for that in, uh, in Community of the King and, and some of my other books. So centered in Jesus, but worship, community, and witness. Now, what you were just talking about is particularly uh, has to do with that witness uh, and ministry side of the church. And what it seems clear to me is in the Bible, there are three essentials to the ministry of all believers, three essentials to the way the church ministers. And that's what you were referring to. The first is the priesthood of believers, which says uh, uh, Jesus Christ is now the, high, the great high priest, the new high priest, and we become a new people in which we are all priests. In Hebrews, First uh, Peter 2, and, and so on. You know, we are that, that uh, holy priesthood, which fulfills a lot of Old Testament prophecies. So it's no longer division between those who are priests and those who aren't. So that's the first thing. According to Scripture, as Christians, that Old Testament division has been done away with through Jesus, and we are now God's priests in the world. So the ministry is given to everybody. But how is that carried out? Well, that brings the second basic thing of the New Testament, and, uh, and that is the gifts of the Spirit. It, it also has Old Testament background. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit. So we're all priests, but we don't all carry out our priesthood in the same way. And there's a variety of, uh, of ministries, a variety of priesthoods. Paul spells those out pretty clearly in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, uh, and, and um, Romans 8, and then also 1 Peter 4, um, 10, uh, 10 through 12. And the point of that is, um, uh, Jesus is the, is the fullness of grace. You think of that image in, um, in Ephesians 4. Jesus is the fullness of grace who gives grace into the body, and the whole body grows up into, into him, and God has given to the church for that ministry to be carried out by the whole body of Christ, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their task is equipping. Their task, uh, in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, it's absolutely explicit there. The role of pastors is not primarily preaching, administration, or fundraising, or anything else. It is equipping. It is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And if you look at Ephesians 4 and compare it with 1 Corinthians 12, you see what that means is that a big part of equipping the saints for the work of ministry is bringing forth the flowering of the various gifts of the Spirit. So this is beautiful. I've seen it when I was pastoring in, in Chicago, especially. As pastors equip, this person discovers a gift, 
this person discovers a gift. Some have to do with work uh, ministry inside the, the function of the church, some in the community, some might be in art or music or, or even a vocation in politics or science or entertainment or something. That can be, those could be gifts of the spirit. And so the idea that uh, we all uh, have ministry doesn't mean that we all do the same thing. In fact, just the opposite. The point is diversity. Read 1 Corinthians 12, you know. Uh, <clears throat> the point is the diversity. So, but with that, there's still something lacking, and that is gifts can be carried out uh, in, the, in the flesh, even pridefully. And so here's the third essential, and that is being servants of Christ. It is servanthood. So priesthood of believers tells us we're all ministries, but it doesn't tell how we carry out that ministry. The gifts of the Spirit tell, says we each carry out differently according to the gifts. And then uh, the being servants of Christ says, yes, but that has to be done in the Spirit of Christ. So that means combining the gifts of the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit, and, and they go together. You know, it's not one or the other, it's both. And so that's, uh, that's my point. My point is, <clears throat> going back to that circle, the center is Jesus Christ. Uh, we're called to worship, we are called to build up community, and we're called to witness in the world. And God gives us the priesthood of believers, the diversity of gifts, servanthood of Christ, so that that can all happen. And especially so it can break out into the world and, uh, and, and we can really be Jesus Christ in the world. What Jesus meant when he said body of Christ. The body is the way the head functions in the world. And so that's, that's, that's what I was getting at there. Now, this may be um, a different uh, um, image than you're, than you're talking about, possibly, but I'm going to pull up here and hopefully everybody can see it. I'm not sure what the Zoom will show, but here we have yeah. one of the that I think is very similar to what you're talking about. And I hope everybody can see what we're showing here on the screen. You know, God, and this just just, just shows just what Howard was saying there, God is shining through the pure light of God's grace into the church. And then through the church now, it's going out like this prism. We have the many colored gifts of the spirit uh, into the world. And yeah. so um, that's just... That's, uh, that's based, excuse me, that's based on 1 Peter 4, uh, 10, 11, and 12. Uh, and also in Ephesians, First uh, uh, Peter two, yes, First Peter four, uh, and First and Ephesians two, where they have this idea, the the great light of God shining on the church, but that light has to be made visible. And uh, Paul uses the term many colored. Uh, most uh, English translations say manifold or something like that, or varied. Mm -hmm. But the, literally, uh, the word means many colored. And so I like that image very much. It's uh, the, the invisible light, it's, it's kind of parallel to the incarnation, the invisible light uh, of, uh, of God's abundant love and grace by the power of the Spirit in the church becomes visible through the, um, uh, the whole spectrum of colors of the gifts of the Spirit in the world. It's biblical and it's, uh, it's important. That's great. Yeah, that is a great image. I love that because uh, all of us, I think, at one time have seen that. I, I just get images of yeah. yeah. Uh, some that my grandparents had at their house, right in the, 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 in the window, and it always shone through. You can't see that light. There's nothing to see. But then it yeah. hits that. And all of a sudden, there's that rainbow on the floor. That is, that is a great aspect for us to think of, of how, that, how God works there. Yeah, I've, um, got two, I've got two prisms sitting up here in my windowsill <laughs> to remind yeah. light. Now, is it that. for that purpose? For that purpose? Partly, yeah. Partly awesome. because one of them is one my daughter gave me. So, <laughs> well, if you have a prism at home, you can remember this. Go get it out, put it in the window, exactly. and every time you see it, remember what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. 
So, um, so when we get into the day-to-day of following Jesus, that's what we call the discipleship. Uh, some people today call it apprenticeship to Jesus. As we do this, as we apprentice under him, um, we need to find ways to, to be in this community. And, you know, for so long, people talked about fellowship and they got the idea of fellowship and community being the thing that you get the potluck and everybody eats their food and, you know, gossips about everybody at church and then they go home. <laughs> but the, the, the fellowship and that community, that discipleship, uh, really, if we go all the way back to our roots uh, in the Methodist church, we think of John Wesley. I know uh, you and I have already discussed a little bit about band meetings. And um, this is a huge aspect of what true community can be and what true fellowship could look like. Uh, now, again, there may be people watching this that say, well, what's that? I don't want to join a band. I can't play an instrument. No, it's not that. Yeah, that's what, that's what people have joked to me about that. <laughs> yes, yes. So what tell us about what a band is, and then give us your best pitch for someone who, who may not have joined one. Well, uh, it, it, especially in our tradition, uh, we go back to John Wesley, although there are many precedents down through history. But um, John Wesley was an Anglican. He lived and died in Anglican. He never left the Anglican Church, Church of England. But, and he loved the sacraments and, uh, and the doctrines and many of the things, uh, the Book of Common Prayer that we associate with that tradition. But he saw there were some things lacking. And the main thing that was lacking was koinonia, face to the one another aspects. Uh, well, there were two things. One was simply the, the new, you know, uh, an actual experience of the new birth and heart warmed uh, the, the experience of Christ. But then how do you nurture that? that there weren't structures for that. In, uh, in the Anglican Church. So uh, Wesley invented or adapted two, primarily, uh, two primary structures, the class meeting and the bands. Class meetings were generally 12 people that might be mixed in terms of gender. Basically, they were sort of fellowship and mutual encouragement groups. But Wesley saw there needed to be something deeper. And picking up some, for some precedents from the Moravians, he started the, the Methodist bands. And uh, actually, the bands were actually started before the class meets. But the bands are much more uh, select in the sense that in early Methodism, they were, uh, were gender-separated, so it was either men or women. And they were marriage-separated, so it was either single or, um, or married. And the, point of, the reason for that was the high level of, of confidentiality that was needed. And the basis, the biblical basis of that, and again, Wesley is explicit on this, is... Um, um, James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, you may be healed. And Wesley believed, and his, his experience confirmed it, we don't have genuine one another Christianity until we experience church in some sort of way that we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that uh, you may be healed. We can't do that in a congregation of 50 or 100 or even 30. You can only, because you have to have confidentiality, you have to have time, you have to have intimacy, you have to meet together week by week over a period of time to generate um, uh, uh, trust. And so uh, the bands were usually somewhere around six, uh, four, five, six people. And they met every week, usually limited, tried to limit to about an hour, and they asked a series of questions. And uh, after some uh, preliminary um, chit chat or whatever. And the first one was, uh, uh, I, I, might have, might, I don't have them right here before me, so I might have the sequence not right. But one of the first ones was, what 
sins have you committed during the last week? Well, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty scary. You know, you might want to consider if you want to be in a group uh, that practices that. And then uh, the second one was, uh, what uh, temptations have you had this past week? The third one was, uh, how did you um, uh, went out over those, uh, you know, how did you confront those? Um, and, uh, and then one of the later questions was, um, uh, do you have any secrets that, you're, that you don't want to tell us? <laughs> and, uh, you know, as I say, that, that gets a little scary. I had ne I've been in all, all kinds of small groups over the many years, but uh, uh, I've only been in a Wesleyan band for a little over a year now, uh, mm. about a year and a half. And we're, we're doing those. We're asking those questions. We had our band meeting this morning by Zoom. And I found it very helpful, and the other people do too, because it addresses our growing edges. You know, it addresses the the what could be the the tender spots or the or the uh, the places where it it can be the voice of God speaking to us. You know, uh, and uh, that's very helpful, and it's helped us. And we we it's you know iron sharpens iron, and so on. So now there there are different ways of doing it. It doesn't have to be that way. But I would argue that you can simply cannot have a vital church without some form of something like a band. That is, uh, groups small enough that you can develop a, a deep level of trust. You know, don't necessarily have to use those questions, but, uh, but develop the kind of uh, trust and mutual love for one another that, that you can do the one another behaviors. Ephesians 4, you know, Speak, speaking the truth to one another, uh, encouraging one another, building up one another, always of loving one another, uh, even rebuking one another when it's necessary. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, uh, Hebrews 3, let us encourage one another daily. You know, once a week is not enough. Or once a month is not enough. Uh, let us encourage one another, encourage one another daily while it's called today. Uh, that doesn't mean the group has to meet every week, but, but you know, there has to be that. Uh, so that you'll be, not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And the logic of that is, if you're not doing this, you will become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That is, if we're not, uh, if we're just, if we're, our personal devotions is not enough. And the, the, the Sunday worship or whatever it is is not enough. We need to be uh, engaged in community, uh, a relationship to God at three levels. One, the private personal level. Uh, to uh, uh, the small group and three the, the great congregation. Those there's a there's an ecology, a synergy, a symbiosis. Uh, for example, in our own prayer life or in our reading the scripture, I need to read the scripture by myself in my daily devotions. I need to hear the scripture proclaimed in the congregation, but I also need to discuss the scripture with brothers uh, in in Christ or brothers and sisters. We we also have a Tuesday night group of about a dozen. A mixed group, and we, you know, we we do some Bible study discussion there. But clearly, Sunday, once a week Sunday worship is not Christianity. It it there has to be some supplement of uh, of some form of uh, of small group that is more than more than the potluck, as you said, and more than the Sunday school class. And there's a rhythm between those. And if you look at church history, uh, the church has rediscovered. The, these smaller forms of community various times, and then it forgets it because it's harder to do. You know, it's easy, it's right. much easier to get together on Sunday in a big congregation. And so if you look at history, you'll, you'll discover, you'll see that what, what happens is a small group 
keeps getting discovered and then uh, lost. Uh, and, and there's always the reversion uh, then just, just to the Sunday congregation. Now there's some other groups that go to the other extreme and say, we don't need the, the Sunday congregation. We're just gonna have little teeny house churches, micro churches, and that's it. No, it's both and. And, and that's, again, that's biblical. I, in my books, I lay that out uh, pretty clearly, I think. So the band meeting is essentially, I think the easiest way to put it, it is a place to practice James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And James doesn't say there, if you think it's a good idea, no, he just says, do it. Um, and a place to practice the other one another passages. And that's why it says in Hebrews 10, uh, don't give up meeting together. And I think in the context there, he's not talking about a big congregation. He's probably talking about house churches. Uh, do not give up meeting together as the practice of some is, but let her, let, rather let us consider, that means thinking about it, talking it over, let us consider how to uh, prod one another on to love and good works. That's the, the, the function of the group, not merely to hear the scripture, to enjoy the scripture, to pray, but to be prodded, to be uh, provoked, you know, to be encouraged, uh, to, uh, to put into practice love and good works in the world. So it's the journey inward and the journey outward. It requires both. You can't have adequately the journey outward without the journey inward. It's a rhythm. Uh, that's what Wesley discovered. And that was the genius of early Methodism and why it, it continued to grow and spread uh, all around the world. It wasn't the, the, the genius of Wesley was that both and aspect. You know, it was holding together things old and new, as Jesus said. And we need that in the, in the church today. We might find new ways of doing it, but there's no substitute for doing it. Yeah, it it's, uh, comes down, as we said early on, and just an, another one of those choices that people have to, to flourish. We could choose to keep doing the same old ways of things that maybe we have. Maybe all you've, you've done in your church uh, or in your local context or in your life has been the devotions and a service and a small group. You know, and small groups are great. You're going to do a Bible study with everybody, um, and uh, that's great. But, you know, that you could actually flourish and find yourself uh, with more life spiritually um, in that sense, if you were to do one of these things, join one of these bands. Um, and and I, I had the same thing. I just had mine today as well, um, just right before this. So, you know, I know a lot of free Methodists that already have jumped on that, but it's certainly worth talking to somebody some more about it. if you've never heard of this before, talking to someone you know, ask, ask some of your friends if they have ever heard of this or done this. Uh, yeah, it can be exciting. It, you know, it can be the it could be the growing uh, growing edge, so that it adds meaning then to our own personal devotions, and our life in the world, and our meeting together as the larger congregation. Yeah, and I think especially even now in the context of what's going on right now, uh, it's something that is really yeah. needed a community of people, um, especially as we move forward. But before we wrap up our conversation for today, I want to get to an issue that talk about something that is actually very related, but when we first hear it, people might say, well, well, how does this relate to what you guys are talking about? And I know uh, we've referred a couple of times uh, to, we had a conversation, both of us, and then with Brett Heinzman, communications director the other day. And at the end of our conversation, you said, oh, I, I wanted to add one more thing. And you were uh, talking a little bit about creation care and issues of uh, the land. And um, you said that every time you have a conversation about discipleship or these types of things, you always talk about issues of the land and creation care. So I know uh, just from personal experience, I'm sure you're similar that anytime uh, 
this kind of thing comes up, there's always somebody out there, and there's probably somebody watching this says, well, what does that have to do with this? You know, this is about discipleship. We're talking about bands. This is all good. Now, why do we have to talk about the land? I mean, we don't have to bring the environment into this, you know. Uh, so what is this? How do we, uh, how would you answer someone who says, well, should we really be concerned right now about land issues in the midst of this health pandemic and the issues of the church? Tell us about how that all connects and why it's so important to you. Yeah, yeah, that, that reflects... Um... That reflects, you know, a lot of people won't agree with this, but that reflects a secular worldview, not a Christian world, not a biblical worldview. By the way, this has been a revolution for me in the last 10 years. I started, I did a study, I went through all the scripture uh, and looked at every occurrence of the word land or earth. And in Hebrew, it's the same word, land and earth. And in Greek, it's the same word, land. In Greek, it's the word we get geo and and, uh, like geography and so on from um so um i so i working through that for some years there's there's some hints of it in my earlier books but working through that for some years uh i i uh published a book called salvation means creation healed and uh i think it's the only one of my books that whose title is a complete sentence a salvation means creation (laughs) And a year, a couple of years ago, well, more now, I was going to have a, a noontime discussion with some students at Asbury Seminary. And so we'd set that up and we we're going to meet in one of a separate dining hall. And a couple of guys were seated out in the larger dining hall. And the one guy said, to the other, says, well, I'm going to go to this, this discussion, this meeting. And the other guy says, well, what, what's it about? And he said, oh, it's about salvation means creation healed. And the other guy says, no, it doesn't. <laughs> salvation doesn't mean creation healed. Which means he hadn't understood Ephesians 1. Uh, God has a plan for the fullness of time to bring everything in heaven and earth together one, under one heaven, even Jesus yeah. Christ. Or Colossians 1, you know, on him, God was pleased to reconcile all things, things visible and things invisible, things in heaven and things on earth. So Paul understood this. Paul got it. And you see it in Ephesians 1, Colossians 2, uh, 1, and especially Romans 8, but a lot of other places too. The whole creation is groaning. Where did Paul get that? Well, I, I used to, I, for a while I thought, well, that's some kind of a Greek idea. No, where he gets it is from the Old Testament. So the issue of the land, the earth, which is a way of speaking about the whole, cre- the whole non-human creation, well, really human as well, but especially the non-human creation, all the creatures. Uh, that is a biblical theme that begins in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The heaven, which is a phrase in Hebrew, which simply means the, the, whole, the whole creation. Um, and God places Adam and Eve in a garden, and God says, take care of the garden. And so there's a beautiful picture in Genesis 1 and 2 of harmony between God, people, and the land. And that is what God always intends, tended, and is promised several times throughout Scripture. The, the ideal of, uh, the, of shalom, of peace, of uh, perfect reconciliation, is reconciliation between God and the people and the land. And uh, so when we, when we talk about uh, the land creation and so on, we're not talking about something that gets added on at the end, nor are we talking about a secular thing, nor are we talking about a, a, a left-wing thing, nor are we talking about a socialist idea, nor are we talking about a communist idea, for goodness sake. Uh, but 
we uh, we are talking about the Bible. And it, the problem is, you know, we claim to be biblical. Okay, let's be biblical. And let's take pay attention to what the Bible says. So uh, I worked out a model which is basically the same as um, uh, the model that you'll find in uh, um, uh, Christopher Knight's, uh, 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 Christopher Wright's book, uh, uh, The Mission of God. And he has a model toward the end, a triangular model of God, people, and land. And uh, independent of him, I was coming to the same conclusion. He's an Old Testament scholar. Uh, that that's what the Bible is about. It's about God, people, and land. Uh, not just it, it, I mean land in the in the in, uh, in the se sense of dirt of dirt of earth of soil, but not just that of of uh, the whole created order, order, the stars, the planets, you know everything. You know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth are full of His glory. And so the vision is the is, is uh, the glory of God in all His creation. So we find these uh, mind-blowing promises in the Old Testament, such as the lion will lie down with the lamb, such as the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's not just poetry; that's a promise. The earth will be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. And so why does Jesus then give us a prayer that says, oh Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the goal that God's uh, um, will be done on earth is, is, is in heaven. And we sometimes had that false idea, well, God will bring about that about in his own time. No, we are in a covenant relationship. We are in a covenant relationship with God and with the land. And there's been a, t I, I never saw this really, and, and even though I was brought up in the church, but it never hit me until, let's say, about 10 years ago, because I was thinking, oh, it's, it's, Christianity is all about the relationship between me and God. And then later I came to see, no, it's just not just me and God, it's me and the church uh, and God, you know. Uh, and then I began to say, well, wait a minute, there's more. It's me and, and, and God and the kingdom of God. And then I saw, oh, okay, what's the kingdom of God about? It's about uh, heaven and earth in harmony with God. It's about shalom. And so uh, when we talk about the, God's covenant with the earth, we're not talking about a new idea. We're talking about an old idea. It's very explicit in Genesis 9. It says God has an everlasting covenant with the earth and with every creature on the earth. Look at Genesis 9 seven times. In Genesis 9, it says, uh, every creature in on earth, every creature of the earth, every creature over and over again, every creature. It emphasizes it seven times to say, uh, and this was, of course, after the flood. And God says, "I now establish." You know, you you mess things up through sin. It messed up not only the human relationship but the relationship with the land. Uh, God brings judgment, doesn't destroy the earth, but does destroy it in terms of uh, much of the evil ways, and st and starts over with uh, people who have this covenant with God and with the earth, and we are to practice that stewardship. So uh, we are, whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not, if we're Christians, we are in a covenant relationship with God, we are in a covenant relationship with one another, and we are in a covenant relationship with the earth. And we either, uh, uh, we either take care of the garden or we poison the garden. And that is not a, a, just a spiritual, <clears throat> spiritual idea, that's a very physical idea. What do we do with, 
uh, our trash with do we uh, with recycling? What do we do with putting chemicals on our lawns and uh, where we get our food supply and all those kinds of things? Those are very difficult questions, but the Bible pro uh, provides a perspective on it. And I think, and I lay this out in Salvation Means Creation Healed, I think God may use this coronavirus and other things to uh, awaken the church to what it's been lacking and that is its stewardship not only of one another but a stewardship of the earth look at how the uh the, the pollution is clearing up in delhi and and um uh, uh you know the, the the various cities of the world and so on because the, it isn't being as polluted as much that mm -hmm. is a sign of what god wants to see not through a coronavirus but through uh, proper stewardship Fortunately, there's some nice examples of that down through history, uh, which we could talk about. But uh, I think that's the challenge. But that's why I say, in response to the uh, uh, the pandemic, we have a choice. Are we which way are we going to go? Are we going to go with the culture? Are we going to go with the past, or are we going to go with this revolutionary gospel that has answers to all of these questions? about how we engage with one another and how we engage with the, with the creation and how we, uh, how we in, you know, the pandemic has its roots in the earth. It's a, it's a physical earthly thing. And it is a sign of, that there's something wrong in the relationship between uh, us and, and the earth and the creatures of the earth. Well, that, it, it, the Christians could be on the forefront of solving that uh, as they have been in other areas. And uh, so, uh, when when people think that to bring up the earth is to say oh we're we're adding on something that's an extra no we're saying where did we go wrong in the first place you know and we really need to get back to scripture so i'm i'm very conservative and very literal in my interpretation of scripture on those points so i think when the bible says earth it means earth it doesn't mean just israel it doesn't mean heaven uh it means heaven and earth uh, reconciled to to god so that's a long answer to a short question no yeah i like what you said a minute or two ago about um uh adhering to the bible and, and if we're going to follow the bible then let's seriously follow the bible uh, founder bt uh founder bt roberts the founder of free methodism bt roberts uh is famous for saying the bible is a radical book it never proposes halfway measures and you know it's that idea that okay you can if you are a christian if you're Bible follower, you may not know everything in there, but your job is to find out on an issue and learn what it says and then um, go out and live that out. And so, I mean, I, I think people, there's not really much argument about, yes, we should have that uh, re redeemed relationship with God, the redeemed relationship with other people. Uh, but I think sometimes people stop short of, they find no problem when it comes to creation as far as uh, seeing that with their pets um you know uh, oh yeah my dog my cat yeah of course i i would do anything for them i love them and take care of them whatever but when it comes to you know then different things as far as not just other animals but then the land itself then that gets sketchy people start saying, yeah i don't know if that's really in the bible but you know again we just given just a couple examples here today in genesis but we look time and time again and if you do take the time um as howard did uh, just some time ago to actually look through all right well let's just look and see how many times it says land or earth or you know these words and what does god say about that 
then you start to find out more and more things about like Sabbath. It's just crazy stuff. Like you yes. knew that people were, were supposed to have a Sabbath. It's in the Ten Commandments. But it's weird when you look in there, you go, whoa, the, the land was supposed to get a Sabbath. Why would the land need a rest? You might yeah. ask questions like that. And we got, you know, that's a whole thing we don't have time to get into, I guess, today. But no, that, you're very right. Yeah. Lead us into those things. People go, well, that's interesting. They start to look it up and then they're fine. they'll find out. And if you want to follow the Bible, you've got to take it where it leads you. Yeah. Well, you know, in the, in the, in the time of uh, the abolition of slavery and so on, Christians had to take a new look at scripture and see that, oh yeah, there's, sure, there's, there's slavery in the Old Testament, but that's not the tra trajectory of the Bible. It's, it is toward liberation. And similarly, with regard to the earth, the earth has often been maltreated, but the direction mm -hmm. is, uh, is the healing of the earth. And we have some of that in our own tradition. John Wesley was very interested in the land and in gardens and so on. And in animals, he said, we should take, you know, that was the age of horses, not cars. He said, be kind to your horse, take care of it. You know, it's your friend, uh, picking up some of the things that St. Francis did. Uh, and B.T. Roberts as well. B.T. Roberts, remember, was a farmer. And he was very concerned about land issues. Uh, he wrote about uh, some of the issues of uh, Native Americans in the land. And he wrote about prices and economic side aspects of it. So both of them had, I would say, a more biblical, holistic vision uh, than uh, many of his followers have. And uh, that is, they, did, they went as far as was reasonable within their context. Of course, they weren't dealing with issues that we're dealing with today and more, you know, the, the issue of pollution of the air was just beginning in Wesley's day, although he saw it already in London, you know, with the, the smoke and so on. Mm. Uh, but... Uh, we're, we're there, we're, we are their heirs, and uh, we can see how uh, there was something already there pointing in this direction, uh, but it's really about pointing back to Jesus, who was in peace, at peace with God and with the land, and, uh, uh, and that, that's the, the calling that has been given. So I'm hopeful, and I'm actually praying this way that God will use uh, the present crisis, crises really, uh, to help us, myself included, take a new look at scripture. And what are the really basic things? What are the basic covenants? Because the whole Bible is structured according to covenants. Uh, but in my experience, we didn't talk, talk about the covenant with the land. We talked about other covenants, covenant with Joshua, covenant with Moses but we didn't talk about the covenant with the land. And if you, if you leave that out, you're really misunderstanding the other ones because they all fit together. And we find that so beautifully summarized in Colossians 2, uh, Colossians 1, especially, you know, where, where God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself uh, and to bring about reconciliation of all things. As I said earlier, things in heaven and things on earth, things visible and invisible, um, very explicit, you know. And uh, so I think we need that, as I say, that's not just mere nice poetry. That is God's plan. <laughs> that's revelation. That's where it, where it leads. And that's the kingdom of God. Yeah. And to quote the, the great theologian, LeVar Burton, in his show, PBS is reading rainbow. <laughs> you don't have to take his word for it. You can read the Bible and find out for yourself. So, uh, by the way, some people are wondering, no, he's not a real, he wasn't a theologian. It was just a show, kid's show. But uh, no, well, but yeah. But the Bible, the Bible gives us, Wesley said, and, and this is very common in his day, but we kind of lost it today. God has given us two books, the book of scripture and the book of nature. And we are to read both of them. 
uh, Wesley said very, in very interesting things along this line. You know, to read the Bible, you have to know certain kind of languages. He says the book of, of nature, you don't have to learn any other language. It, it explains itself. I mean, it shows itself. And it's, uh, he says it's a language that anybody can read. Uh, but his point was, uh, Christianity is not just the Bible. It's the Bible, the book of scripture, and the book of nature. And we need both of those. And we have, uh, unfortunately, allowed uh, science and uh, economics and business and so on to, to capture that book of nature rather than returning it to what it means for as part of Christian discipleship and Christian worldview. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, then we've talked about a lot of different areas and a lot of things for people to, if they've never heard about, to research, um, to look into. And of course, uh, not, not by no means the least of those things to take a look at some of the books that you've written that you've referenced uh, on creation. And then also um, the one that we, we started this whole conversation with, the problem of wineskins as well. Um, so thanks again just so much for taking this time to talk to us. And I know that uh, we have not heard the last word from you. God willing, you'll be uh, maybe writing some more. Uh, if it's just blogs or whatever it is, we'll hear some more from you. Maybe, yeah, maybe on Twitter. We'll see you on there. <laughs> I'm doing a book on uh, St. Francis, uh, Francis Way to renew the church. It's sort of like my radical Wesley book, what we've learned from him. And I'm doing a book on doctrine which i'm calling the word and the way uh where it's not just the word it's the way it's that we might walk in the ways of god and I'm, I'm i'm looking at all the doctrines sort of from that perspective but in terms of uh, what i've already written i i have a, a facebook page where i post a prayer every day and often some comment uh maybe something related to what i'm researching or what somebody else has done and then i also have a seedbed blog at the, at the seedbed site from Asbury Seminary. I haven't published anything re just recently on that, but there's uh, well over 100 blogs there, uh, many of which uh, deal you know, with, uh, with the different aspects of discipleship and of these things and so on. So um, I feel like um, God has given me a, um, a, a mission and I'm trying to uh, fulfill it because I really want to see um, pouring out of the spirit on the church and through the church on the world so and i appreciate the work you and others are doing in that direction so thanks well, thank you so much and uh and, and yeah just thank you <laughs> you're welcome